0: You think about people that are designing sidewalks, or you know anything like that. And if you're if you're a trail person yourself, hot damn, would you probably rather be designing that trail than you know retaining wall for a trail than a retaining wall for you know some commercial site, right? Um, and so.
1: Episode 130 is part two of the value of a professional dirtbag presentation featuring Drew Pollock-Bruce, a senior recreation planner for the SC Group and president of the Society of Outdoor Recreation Professionals. At the 2023 International Trail Summit, Drew teamed up with last week's guest, Greg Mazou, for this presentation. Drew also goes into his thoughts on the 2023 International Trail Summit as a whole and what it's like to get into the outdoor recreation industry as a profession. Cooley Creative is the title sponsor for this episode, they design and build custom websites, as well as help companies with branding, photography, and e-commerce. Cool Creative was started in Wisconsin, but is now based out of Bend, Oregon. Jared from Cooley Creative is a friend of mine. We've traveled together on multiple mountain bike trips, and sometimes he sends it. For more information about Cooley Creative, head on over to www.doodjustsendit.com. Yes, that's right, doodjustsendit.com will get you to the Cooley Creative website, so check it out. Trail One Components, the brand that was created to put top-quality mountain bike components into the world while giving back to trails. I wanted to put the Crockett Carbon Handlebar to a solid test before talking about it on here. I put these bars on both of my mountain bikes back in early March and have been using them ever since. I have always had hand and forearm issues while mountain biking thanks to Carpal Tunnel. I can tell you that these bars are among the best in the industry when it comes to comfort. Use the affiliate link to purchase your own Trail One components and you'll be helping support the podcast in the process. As a bonus, use the code TRAILPOD as one word when checking out for a 20% discount on all Trail One components and Kettle Mountain Apparel. Twenty-three zero USA has come on board as an affiliate for the Trail Effect podcast. If you are familiar with rooftop tents and overlanding, Twenty-three zero has likely been on your radar. Check out their affiliate link on the Trail Effect website and learn about the well thought out designs that Twenty-three zero has to offer. Now on to the Trail Effect with Drew Pollock, Bruce, and part two of the value of a professional dirt bed. Here we are today
2: on Trail Effect. I have Drew Pollock-Bruce. He's a senior recreation planner for the SE Group. Drew has a master's in regional planning from Cornell University. He is also the current president of the Society of Outdoor Recreation Professionals. And he's on the executive committee of the Vermont Recreation and Parks Association. And if he's like everyone else in the outdoor space, he's probably on five other boards too. How's it going today?
0: Going really good. Yeah, it's beautiful weather here today and did a little bit of a bike ride this morning. So, those things definitely help for a good day.
2: Yeah. Well, we have Drew on today because we're going to cover part two of the value of a professional dirt bag. And this was a presentation that Drew gave with Greg Mezu back at the 2023 International Trail Summit, which was held in Reno in mid April. And so, we're, we're kind of recapping a couple of the different presentations to kind of let people know what the international trail summit is about and what they may have missed or also what drew learned during the international trail summit but before we get there let's learn a little bit about you and how you landed in the outdoor recreation space as a professional
0: oh yeah thanks that's 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 a great story i work for sc group we do planning and design consulting and the way i kind of ended up in in this gig in any case i um after my undergrad at CU Boulder, I was a ski bum and I lived in Summit County and I did every job I could kind of think of to work at night. I worked at Pizza Hut. I worked at maintenance at the ski area. And then I ended up at the Kinko's in, in Dillon. And I was very nerdily reading SC Group's documents um, uh, while I was working there, found out you could do recreation planning as a job. And realized that was something people did. I had no idea. Um, decided I wanted to do that. So I went, I went back to school. I was very fortunate to get into Cornell um, and really focus on public lands management and kind of tourism and resort communities and my degree there. So I was super excited. And then I called back our admin person, Paulette. Uh, she's not with SC Group anymore, but she was like a, a legendary figure there. And I, I called her and, and asked her if she remembered me from the Kinko's and get an informational interview. So that's how, that's how I, uh, I got into the space, um, was, was a little bit by chance, but a little bit by figuring out it was actually a, a thing you could do.
2: So did you work for, we're going to get to what the SE group is here in a minute, but did you work for SE group out in Colorado before heading east?
0: I did, yeah. I started in our Colorado office in Frisco. Um, so in Summit County, I was doing more NEPA work at that time. I had a kid and my wife really wanted to move back East. And so SC Group did not have a job for me in the East at that time. And so I took a job with a nonprofit, Parks and Trails New York. I was a trails program coordinator there. Um, and I worked there for about a year. And the organization is amazing. I, I love the work that they did. It was not quite the right fit for me and the kind of organizational professional side of things. And I was working on the side for SC Group. And so they knew it wasn't quite the right fit and I went back to SE Group. So I took a year off, uh, essentially working um, for a nonprofit and then went back to SE Group. It was good for me professionally though, because it did give me a good pay boost and the mood moved back. So that's a good note for professionalizing your dirtbagness in today's market. That was helpful for me.
2: Yeah. Well, let's get into what SE Group is. And for those that don't know what SE in the SE Group actually stands for.
0: Yeah, thanks. Um, yep, it's uh, Snow Engineering is the what SE stands for. And that was what the company was known um, from its inception in 1958. Up until the late 90s, we were Snow Engineering um, and known by that only. A lot of people in the Forest Service still call us Snow E or Snow Engineering. So. But we started out in 1958 doing ski area planning and design. We designed lifts and trails, base areas and some of the uh, resort properties. We still do a lot of that work and we have worked with almost every ski area in North America. So there's a little over 250 of them and we've worked with uh, the lion's share of them. And so we still do a lot of that that work, but in the nineties, we merged with a landscape architecture firm and became SE Group. Uh, we still are focused in outdoor recreation, but it's a little bit more broad than ski areas. We now do community planning and gateway communities. Um, we do NEPA work for ski areas, as well as for other recreation projects. We do planning and design uh for, you know, at the statewide level, at the site-specific level. And we we do marketing and uh, signage wayfinding and things like that as well.
2: So one of your other roles is the President of the Society of Outdoor Recreation Professionals, And this is going to set the stage of the presentation. But what is the Society of Outdoor Recreation Professionals, and what is the the goal of that organization? So SOrp is, as a group, we put on the
0: National Outdoor Recreation Conference, is our kind of marquee event. And so that's one of the major activities that we do, but our focus is on supporting all outdoor recreation professionals. Um, We're a membership-based organization. Uh, We have over a 1,000 members. And we we were formed in 1983, so it's one year younger than me, uh, SORP. Uh, It is now celebrating our 40th anniversary uh, in 2023. It started out as an association of SCORP planners, and so that's statewide comprehensive outdoor recreation plans. Every state is required to have one to receive federal funds for trails and for LWCF. And so we started out really focusing on Scorp planners, and then over the years have grown into serving state park agencies, a lot of national parks, uh, U.S. Forest Service, BLM, federal employees, and a lot of people who are working on the delivery management um, side of of outdoor recreation.
2: I guess i I'm staying on that topic. Like, what I know, like the university that we have where I live has an outdoor recreation program, you know, and I don't think. A lot of people think of that as a college track, but let's go into that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so on our board, we do have several professors and folks that are in that academic space. And I think there there is a big kind of disconnect where people very easily can see a profession within transportation planning or community planning or... The engineering trades or things like that seem like very viable, visible pathways. Um, where in the outdoor recreation space, we have a lot of those same professionals. Um, but all we tend to think about are you know folks that are are manning welcome centers at state parks or rangers. We don't think about the planning, the design, the government administration, all of those sorts of things that need to go into delivering these services, and really think about them in as professionals, as much as the road engineer, um, or any, any of those other folks, we often, uh, I, I really like what Greg says. I'm, he may have said this, but I'm going to repeat it. Uh, you know, these things are built by fairies and elves. Um, and so, um, we want to, we want to dispel that myth that, you know, that we may have long beards, um, uh, but we're not, we're not all just fairies and elves that, uh, we are, we are professionals as well. Um, and, and have, have training and, and, and all, and have support resources. And so that's what SORP is really about. We do a lot of webinars. We do a lot of training. Um, we run programs, um, in addition to our conferences. And so really trying to support the professionalization, um, of the outdoor recreation profession.
2: Yeah. And I think this, this stat has been thrown around in a bunch of different conversations or in different presentations, but for those that I'm sure everyone's aware of this, listening to this podcast, but for those that aren't aware, how big is outdoor recreation in terms of a GDP? You don't have to look up the exact number, but we can say it's bigger than maybe something else,
0: Sure. thanks. Yeah, I'm trying to remember because did I put that in my presentation? I might have. In any case, it is bigger than auto manufacturing, pharmaceuticals, like all of these industries that we think of as super big lobbying industries. Outdoor recreation, writ large is is larger than all of those. Um, I think it's like the third largest industry. If we could all get together, um, I feel it's pretty rare that the outdoor industry lobbies with one voice. And, you know, SORP is serving all forms of outdoor recreation. But if we can get the folks that are managing, um, that's most of our focus. We do have a lot of other people that are guides and doing some other things. Um, But if we get the manufacturing of RVs to work with the manufacturing of binoculars for birding to work with, you know, mountain bike folks. Then we become really powerful. Um, and so, the more that we can see anyone playing in the outdoors as our fellow compatriot and not someone who's trying to spoil our experience, I think that's true within mountain biking. People looking at us that way, or motorized folks looking at folks. You know, people being looked at that way. And we just need to be more inclusive and work together um, to protect the spaces and the and the resources that we that we need to do this work.
2: Yeah, and it seems like now more than ever people are moving to different communities for a lifestyle versus a career because careers are becoming more mobile, especially with the advent of remote work. I mean, I thought of it that way pre-COVID, but then we saw a huge boom in remote work after that. And so, in your career working as an outdoor recreation professional, how have you kind of seen that shift, you know, towards like it was just something that you sort of did maybe have to work to now it's actually a key talking point at a local parks department or something like that.
0: Yeah. I would, I would mention, you know, just around that remote work piece SC group has done a lot of work with some of those resort communities. Um, and I, I think about the Mad River Valley, we did an economic study there. It's part of here in Vermont where there's, um, really high quality skiing and mountain biking, some other recreation really well known for that. Um, Stowe and Sugarbush are kind of on either end of the valley but they had 50 percent of people working remotely pre-pandemic this was in the like early 2010s this is like 2012 i think the study was done and so places that had really high recreation offering was were already drawing people who who could choose where they want to live and then through the pandemic we've seen this in gateway communities and ski communities schools are like double what they used to be before pandemic because people are moving into the second homes more permanently or more long-term. And it's one of those strategies around outdoor recreation is one of those strategies that uh, it serves local folks. It serves people moving to an area. It's a reason people want to move someplace so you can retain employees. You can draw new people in. Um, So it's a really good strategy for that. Um, I think it's now at a point where. We need to make the industry accessible to people. We need, and this is starting to get into some of that from the from the presentation. There are some real challenges um, in outdoor recreation. One of those is, you know, finding jobs that that do sustain lifelong careers and career pathways. Um, you can look into um, a good career in outdoor recreation, but you can also find yourself stringing together multiple jobs, uh, seasonal jobs, and so working through that. I think too, uh, we saw the outdoor business journal, um, found that the average base salary for outdoor rec professionals is $75,000 though, with 40% making more than that. And I think that's a myth. People don't, don't believe that stat, but that's because they're not, they're focused on the rangers. They're not focused on everybody who's, who's working in this space. And so I think we need to make people know there are career paths, but also encourage more opportunity to to have a long-term career, to be able to move between between jobs. Um, I feel we don't have a very porous industry right now where we see people moving into the industry from out of it or out of the industry into something else. And I'd like to see a lot more ease of movement within the outdoor recreation industry to another employer in the industry as well.
2: Yeah, that was a stat at the presentation that I think a couple of people in the room even turned their nose up at were like... I don't know if that's really true. And I, 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 I'm with you on it. I, I do believe it's true because I don't think, I think people are looking at it from the perspective, like you said, like the park rangers are even like working for a local conservation corps or whatever, like as a college gig. And then they get that confused with like, I'm a mid forties professional. Right. Yep.
0: And I think also that stat too, it's outdoor business journal. So it's not my statistic, but they are talking about Patagonia they are talking about Vale Resorts, right? They're talking about some big corporations that also have some high-salary folks, and so that's where we need to see the outdoor industry in its entirety. That it, you know, it's not just front lines people or or just um, the public sector. There's private sector things happening in that space, and like I said, the porousness between that. I'd love for someone to be able to go from a Forest Service job and. And then work for Bale Resorts, helping them with their land management decision making as well, because those things are are happening together a lot of the time, and um, we just need more connection, I think, to do that.
2: Yeah, and I think as we uh, what what do we call the last two years, like the Great Shuffle or something like that, you know, where there's yeah. a lot of reorg going on and and people just moving between jobs or you know baby boomers retiring and stuff like that. Like, I think you're going to start to see more of that.
0: And my hope is that outdoor recreation profession is one of the winners of the great shuffle. I think I hope that people shuffle towards us in away from less fun jobs in a way. You know, I was I was saying this to a colleague earlier. We are in the business of fun. You know, like we it's all work like they're paying us money because it's not easy and sometimes it's stressful and it's a job. But we are in the business of fun. You know, if you're in the job for Wall Street banking, it's not quite as fun as talking about trails, you know. And so, um, I hope that if we can get the pay where it needs to be, and we can get the like career paths where they need to be, we'll be ultimate winners in that great shuffle that people will shuffle away from some of those other professions and, and towards outdoor recreation, maybe.
2: Yeah. And one of the things that Greg brought up in his talk, and I don't, I didn't remember him talk about this during the presentation. And I was at the presentation. I was actually front row at the presentation. I remember it was that, you know, when he's driving around Colorado doing, doing what he does almost every job site that he goes past for like, say highway road construction or something like that has at least one vehicle near the construction shack with a trailer pad or a trail pad. I mean, a, a, a tailgate pad, I'm sorry, a tailgate pad on the back of that truck. And he, you know, he talked about how, like, I just want to pull into that job site, figure out who, if that employee's like an operator and then in, ask him, you know, how would they feel about transitioning into operating for trail construction instead of operating for road construction?
0: I think there's such an opportunity there because I think there are so many folks that are in these skilled trades that are in in that space also, you know, like you think about people that are designing sidewalks or you know anything like that and if you're if you're a trail person yourself, hot damn would you probably rather be designing that trail than, you know, retaining wall for a trail than a retaining wall for, you know, some commercial site, right? Um and so I think if if they could see that same level of professionalism, and I think that's where we need to get to to attract, you know, those people and entice them further. They want to work for us. They're just like, well, is that a re- can I get a career there like I can in, you know, big time engineering? And sometimes I think about those people like there is Stantec, right? They are an international engineering firm. a Group partners with them. They have, I think, if I remember this was a few years ago, like 22,000 employees. But they have a little action sports group. They have a small, small group of people that that do some of this work. But I got to assume there are way more of those 22,000 employees that would rather be working on on our stuff than you know some of that bigger civil stuff. And I feel if we can create a lane... And, and that's why I didn't even think of this, but I was really impressed when Greg did show as part of the presentation that he went and presented to the Society of of civil engineers about the Palisade Plunge and to speak about trails in that venue. And to me, it was like, kind of like, aha, like obvious, but also I'd never thought of it and it was amazing. It's like, yes, of course, like we need to be seen just like a water project, a sewer project, a road project, a bridge project, a trail project needs to be kind of in that same space. So then people... See all those professionals they see building bridges are, can be just as professional when
2: you're building a trail as well. Especially bridges for trails.
0: Yeah, exactly. And we need to we use civils anyway. They love they Every single civil who has to do a bridge design for a trail loves it. It's like their best bridge projects almost every time.
2: Yeah. And you're not playing on the interstate. I know, you know, with my time at Wisconsin DOT, like the worst place I want, I, the place I avoided the most was anything that had to do with the interstate.
0: Yeah. Well, it's like the amount of hurdles, that, right? Yeah. Or, you know, it just
2: dangerous. Like, and I mean, physically like playing on the interstate.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Great. Right.
2: I'd much rather be on that, on that two lane state highway that has seized like 300 cars a day. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And
0: ideally the trails are even more safe than that. So, yeah. exactly.
2: What are some of the other highlights that you brought about during your presentation or at least stuff that sticks out in your head, and that could be highlights that you presented or even highlights that maybe came back to you from questions from the audience and whatnot.
0: I think one of the most important things from that was the outdoor recreation roundtable with Oregon State University had had done that report on what the recreation workforce needs and I think kind of just quickly touching on those, I think that's a really important thing for us all to be thinking about. The number one need was Defining and closing the outdoor skills gap. And so I think that's somewhere where SORP will be hopefully really involved, American Trails and PTBA as well, trying to identify what are those core skills, like has already been identified for civil engineering. Like, what are those core skills and certifications that you need to demonstrate to become a a certified outdoor recreation planner or a certified trail builder, um, like you can for a certified engineer or And so looking at that, as I had mentioned, the misconceptions of outdoor work, so people know what it is and it's visible, the inclusive workforce and diversity, making sure that we're reaching all sectors of the American public and we're engaging with them, not just trying to get them to go on trails, but actually manage, build, and think about them from the beginning. And then the last one is probably the most important to our workforce. It's across the American industries, but I think given where we're at with pay and kind of the, especially the kind of nature of our work. A lot of folks in the forest service are moving every year or two happens in trail building happens with a lot of outdoor folks. They they do have to move around a little bit. So how housing availability and affordability is just so critical um, because if people can't afford to live in these places, these trail Meccas, um, that's what we see, you know, uh, Jackson hole or park city, even Bentonville. Now any of these places where you could think of as, I'm moving there for the trails. And, you know, that's my number one thing. Like housing is really difficult there. Even rural communities that are up and coming, trying to become a trail place and have nothing yet. Those places are even challenging for affordability and housing. Here where I sit in Vermont, we, we have the slowest rate of new housing built in the nation. And, you know, and that's partially in a lot of... Vermont looks like a lot of trail communities where rural... Um, We have, you know, um, uh, a lot of small towns trying to grab onto the economics. Um, And so that's a big challenge. And I think something that we need to be a voice. There's a lot of people advocating for housing and affordable housing in America, but we need to be a voice for that as well. Well,
2: and I think something we really need to do a better job at is a lot of outdoor recreation infrastructure has been built on the backs of volunteers, right? And that's something that if we want to continue to grow the activity, whatever that activity is, it could, anything in the outdoor recreation space, I mean, trails a lot, or you could probably, I would say more than more so than almost anything we're traditionally volunteer built, you know, to, but to move into that professional sense to like, these trails bring a lot of value to your community, whether it's from a tourist perspective, but more importantly, just to the livelihood and livability of a community in terms of all the health and wellness benefits, like what are your thoughts on, on that?
0: Yeah. So I think, I think that there's a huge opportunity to leverage those volunteers, right? I think uh, like anytime I talk to an outdoor rec professional, I try to learn a little bit about their story. And, you know, at least nine times out of 10, they started with some passion volunteer project and they got into the space in that way. You know, like I shared, I was reading SC group's documents gotten the space. But long before that, I was a Boy Scout helping to build trails with the ATC or you know, did volunteer projects. And I'm, I'm honestly skeptical of professionals who have never, have never done volunteering and didn't come into it in some way through a club, through a volunteer process or get exposed in that way. I think partially that's how people do get exposed to the work. But it's really important Piece for uh, of the industry and and I think of growing professionals. We need to have a pathway to easily transition from an Uber volunteer into a professional as well. Um, And so I think making that pathway kind of grow up, I think, is really helpful. And then kind of thinking about that idea around economic vitality and like bringing people in. um, I think about this is a project in your hometown or your home state of Wisconsin, but. I think about Rib Mountain State Park and Granite Peak and a project we did there. And there's a doctor uh, with Seawalk who referenced moving from Colorado back to Wausau because of the recreational offering. Um, And it's a really niche like surgery that he does. And it really helped, you know, that level of offering helped attract that, that person in. Or I think about here in Vermont, there were some companies that engineer, they, they needed uh, mechanical engineers to design manufacturing equipment. And in one town, they had tried for years to hire someone. Another town, and right the next time over from Kingdom Trails, advertised the same type of position in Mountain Bike Magazine, in one of the Mountain Bike Magazines. I don't know what it was, Single Tracks, or I don't know which one, but, and got, you know, 16 great applications right away, you know? And I think that to me is such a great story of the power in our communities that these sort of offerings can, can, can provide. They can, they can find, help draw in the people we need into these rural communities and into these towns, which to me is, is, helps demonstrate that power of the industry.
2: I remember hearing the story that you just talked about with Vermont on another podcast, and I can't remember what one it was, but I just chuckled when I heard about the engineering firm taking out an ad in a mountain bike specific publication. And then all of a sudden they had all the people they wanted, they needed to apply for the jobs. Our Vermont governor
0: told the story. That's where I heard it. It was yeah. I'm kind of paraphrasing from him. So I'm sure he shared that within the trails community. But to me, it's a really powerful story. And it's really kind of indicative of, of what we can do in communities, you know, um, with trails. That That's not always apparent unless you, you hear about it like that.
2: Yeah. And I've heard this, you know, another community in northern Minnesota, Brainerd, which is like 15, 20 minutes west of, we're going to say Cayuna Recreation Area or the crosby yep. arrington area, you know, they were having a hard time attracting doctors to their community. And once, you know, Cuyuna opened up, and I think it was 2011, if I remember right, that barrier of getting people to move to that region slowly started to come down.
0: Yeah. And it's like the, you know, the red dirt brings them in, right? Uh, there's some uh, quote from that area where I brought them in for mining hundred years ago and it brings them in for mountain biking now, right? Um, something like that.
2: You brought up Rib Mountain and Wausau. And to me, the most interesting part of that story was the fact that it was the chamber of commerce that really drove trying to get that master plan for Rib Mountain done. Like that, I'd I look at chamber of commerce is kind of like, uh, well, I'm going to say convention and visitors bureaus where they're always kind of marketing what what's already in a community, but for them to be so forward thinking to be, you know, we need to get more infrastructure in our community. So we have more to market to get more people here.
0: Yeah. I would double down on that comment too. I agree. It's really a magic part of that story and that, um, you know, you'll have a chamber or a business group be involved in some trail projects, but they're often not the catalyst behind it in this way, where it is the chamber and the Greater Wausau Prosperity Partnership, which is kind of initiative of the chamber as well, but I think it spun off that they have a placemaking committee, um, they have a, a whole range of folks like working on exactly these sorts of initiatives, and they were able to to rally a lot of different people in the community. and you know, looking at Granite Peak, the ski area has driven a lot of uh, traffic through a lot of businesses in Wausau. And they see mountain biking as helping to complement what's happening and be climate, help uh, adapt towards climate change, help spread out that visitation um, into more seasons. Um, And they really told that story throughout the business community. So it it wasn't just mountain bikers looking for mountain biking. Um, It was the whole community um, looking for that. And I, I think that was really really powerful and a really incredible community group. you know, we were involved to help, but it's really SeaWalk and the Greater Wausau Prosperity Partnership and people, you know, Granite Peak Sea Area, the ownership there, that all those folks with a vision um, and then working with the DNR to, to kind of realize that it's really, really amazing.
2: Let's circle back to the International Trail Summit of 2023. You've been to a lot of conferences in your role, you know, both, uh, PTBA, American Trails, um, stuff that you do with with the uh, Society of Outdoor Recreation Professionals. What were your thoughts on this year's International Trail Summit, which had, I want to say, close to a thousand participants? I think they said twenty seven countries and forty nine states. And I'd like to know what state it was that didn't show up, and maybe it was Rhode Island. I don't know what state, what one state would be, but
0: I know Alaska was there. I think Hawaii as well. So yeah, I would be surprised. There's some protectorates there represented as well. Yeah, it was incredible. I was really impressed by the number of folks there. I think that was the biggest gathering of folks like this that I've been to. Um, it's bigger than any PTBA conference or previous American Trails. I have to say, this was before my time on the SORP board, but pre-pandemic, SORP was looking at doing a combo with American Trails. It was going to be the National Outdoor Recreation Conference that we do with American Trails. And so I looked at the success of this event a little bit with that lens of, oh, it could have been us um, if we had, you know, but the pandemic happened and other things happened that we may still talk with American Trails about combining the National Outdoor Rec Conference with the trail symposium at some point in the future as well. But I think the combination of the two to me was incredibly powerful. I'd love to see that happen again because it brought together, we did have a lot of land managers at PTBA conferences and we had some builders at American Trails as well, but having them together really brought those groups together even more strongly, which I think really needs to happen as much as possible. Um, Cause there are, you know, there are people like, there's a guy who comes to, he's involved in sort, but he's also very involved in PTBA, Michael Meester, He's a trail builder for Tennessee state parks. And, you know, like he's a, he's both an agency man and a trail builder. And so like, it's nice. I think this event really serves the, the overlap like that really well. I love the venue. I like being in Reno. It was a little strange being in a casino because like, you know, we went outside for that brewery takeover and it was like the outside world does exist. There is sun, you know, cause they designed those things to keep you indoors and to not be aware of the outdoors at all. That was interesting. It was a good case study. And if you don't mind, I'll just make a quick pitch for our 2024 national outdoor rec conference. It will be in the same region and in Lake Tahoe at state Line, Nevada. Our conference venue is not at a casino, but the hotel um, helps keep the prices really low. The hotel deals are at Harvey's. Um, so the hotel deals are at a casino. A lot of the same folks regionally, I'm hoping might be enticed to attend our event. Um, we do have a lot of trails content and trails management. It's a lot of what we focus on. There's also some other state parks and camping and a little bit other forms of outdoor recreation represented at our conference. Um, but to me, it was a really great test case and kind of see what our event might be like next year. Uh, so I would just make a quick push for that. And the dates, I want to make sure I'm seeing the right ones.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask the dates and if if Tahoe is going to be under uh, 5,000 feet of snow or not.
0: Ideally not is the idea. They, they thought not. It will be May 6th through 9th. So it could be right on the cusp, actually, but the thinking we were there in April, uh, just now and there, there wasn't a ton of snow, but there was some. I, I did ski at Mount Rose, um, uh, while I was out there for ITS. So that was, that was sweet, but it was definitely springish conditions. Um, and so we make it a little bit of snow and a little bit of sun. It's May 6th through ninth, uh, 2000,
2: 2024. I don't know if they've announced what the if there's going to be a PTBA conference or what the next PTBA conference dates are, but I believe they're working on another combined American trails, PTBA summit for 2025. I think they're going to try to do those every other year now, at least foreseeable future. Good.
0: Yeah. Cause I think that's where international trails was always every two years. And I think PTBA has been every year. Maybe they keep it that way. that could be really nice. I would, I would love to see that. And we're going every other year now with the the national outdoor rec conference so i think we'll try to cross program it as it is now where every other year you could go to its american you know and ptba or to the national outdoor rec conference because there is a lot of overlap in our in our membership
2: do you try to bounce back and forth in other parts of the country then like obviously if 2024 you're going to be on the west coast i'm thinking you would probably bounce back to the east at some point
0: yeah, our last one was in Knoxville um, last year in 2022. And I got involved in 2018 because it was in Burlington, Vermont. And that's how I kind of got pulled into the organization. So, yeah, absolutely. We've moved throughout the regions we've done. Uh, before that, we did South Dakota. And we had two virtual ones through COVID. And then we've done Knoxville. And then Tahoe will be our next. I'm not sure where our 2026 venue is going to be, but I think it—I I think it may be somewhere in the central United States, would be my guess. But we'll we'll have, we'll we'll see where that shakes out. I should also just mention, if you don't mind, to our other events, we do have regional meetups that Sorp is working on, and so there's one at Acadia National Park happening in August, and so that's a visitor use management workshop. It's a two day. Workshop, but the conference venue is within the park, uh, Scudic Institute, which is part of the national park. A lodging is too. So it's going to be really beautiful. That's August 15th through 17th. And we're going to continue to have regional, smaller regional events like that in 2024. And so we'll have at least three um, smaller regional events, as well as the National uh, Outdoor Rec Conference in 2024.
2: Since we're on the topic of the Society of Outdoor Recreation Professionals, what does it take to become a member? I know you talked about this during the presentation.
0: Yeah, thanks. Um, It's super easy. Um, As an individual, um, you can sign up as a member. It's 40 bucks. Um, We'd love folks to do that. If you are within the National Park Service, the U.S. Forest Service, the BLM, there are a handful of state agencies. I know Maine State Parks is one now, too. With organizational memberships, you can join at no additional cost to those organizations. You... You just uh, need to reach out to your membership coordinator or our executive director, and they will add your email. But if you have an email that ends in BLM or Forest Service or Park Service, you can join at no cost. We're also in the process of selling those organizational memberships. So if you sit somewhere at a state park agency and want to get an uh, organizational membership, we'd love to to talk with you about that and and can help um, get you and all of your staff at a a municipal agency or company any organization and universities can join as organizational members or as individual members our website is recpro.org right now it's it's a great website but it is definitely needs some love and we're on the process we have a new crm uh constituent management system being and we'll have a new website coming on this year as well so go there right today and know it's going to be even better in the near future but you can definitely become a member there um, right now
2: yeah and we'll definitely put the link to that in the show notes as well we try to put all the links to us you'll find links to international trail summit se group uh, society of outdoor recreational professionals all the stuff we talked about here will be in the show notes as well
0: that's awesome and let me just throw out one more link because this was awesome the presentation and i think a really important resource And really good for American Trails because they were very great hosts. They have a website called trailskills.org. And that, as we were mentioning earlier with the skills gap, that is very much focused on identifying those skills and providing training around that. Um, And so if you're there looking at growing your outdoor recreation professional career, your trail planning or uh, management building career, um, check out trailskills.org from American Trails. And there's a whole training curriculum that can help uh, support continued development.
2: Well, before we wrap up every episode, I ask just about everybody, and this will be a good one for you: what they look for in a trails or outdoor community. Say they're going to travel, relocate. Say by say you were told you had to move somewhere else. Like, what would you? What kind of things? What kind of amenities would you be looking for? And this especially applies to you, since this is like literally your line of work.
0: Yeah. It's really interesting. I have relocated. My wife and I moved ten times in ten years. When I was a uh, you know in my younger days, I've now lived in Vermont for nine years. Uh, so that's been a while. But I have relocated for trails several times in my life. I do love to be right next to a trail when I when I look for a house to buy or rent. And I have lived on a couple of rail trails. That was really great for commuting. But honestly, I think the number one telltale of quality or experience to me would be the club or programming that's associated with the trail offerings. If there's, if they have incredible events, if there's a super fun, like in Vermont, we have um, a really good Halloween costume bike ride in the community that is just like the most fun on a bike you can have. Um, and so I really look for those things where there's a really strong evidence of like community events and clubs, cause that's going to, you know, everyone can get a red trail built, but not everyone can have that community that surrounds it. And so I would look for that, um, in a place where I was going to try to locate. And I think it's, it's really hard cause I, I love literally every trail community that I've been to. I just, that they, they are my world to visit and, enjoy them honestly i feel like i'm very blessed in my work that i do get to go around and talk with folks about how to become a a more trail friendly community and, and all those sorts of things but i would say too it is always the people it's always the people that that make these places special and so the kingdom trails are special because the people designed the trails in a way and have built that offering in a way it's the same in fruta um it's 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 the people that that make these places what they are and different from each other um, and so that, that to me is is really, is really the differentiator.
2: Yeah. And a little while ago, you brought up Knoxville as a community. How's that? I mean, I've, I've been in Knoxville a handful of times and, did, and Knoxville's a pretty big feature on this podcast a while ago. And how's that for your Society of Outdoor Recreational Professionals conference there? I am blown
0: away by Knoxville. I mean, especially as like, as you know, it's a, not a, it's not a tiny city, it's a, it's an urban place. And Hot Dim, do they have some amazing offerings? Baker Creek is really incredible. I think, I think the club is the Appalachian Mountain Bike Club, is what it's called. I believe they're just incredible. Um, is it Matt Kellogg? there? he's, he's just a super uh, force to to get things done. And um I I really like them because they also use night eyed, who was a builder here from Vermont. Um, he's actually working on a bike park in my town of Burlington. So I'm super duper stoked on that. SC group is helping like with a little bit of the master plan, but he's doing the design. Um, but they, to me, they are of that set of, of like urban communities are really doing it right. And, you know, I think Boise, you could put into that set. There's a couple other towns that are big cities that are doing that, but there's not a lot of them. And so for us, it was such a great place to be to have our North conference. Um, Because sometimes a lot of trails communities are smaller places, um, and that is is not. It's a real city with a lot going on and an incredible offering.
1: Yeah, they're smaller or they
2: don't, or their trails aren't like actually near the core of the city. And with Knoxville, you can get pretty much, I mean, you're only a couple miles from downtown to get to the trails to Baker's Creek or the other stuff that they have there.
0: Connected with bike path and the urban wilderness connections. And yeah, it's really, really well done. And We'll see. Salt Lake City is on the on its rise. Their foothills trail system there is really nice and super accessible. They're working to manage that and and make that even better. You know, so I think a lot of our our bigger cities in America, are, we're going to see. A, I hope that we're going to see a real flourishing over the next ten years of them really grabbing onto it. You know, it's there is a bike park in New York City, right? Uh, it's there's a Velo Solutions. It's it'll be a little bit trickier, perhaps, to get some real sick rad mountain biking in New York City, but I bet even that can happen. And I think we're going to see more and more pushes towards that. You know, they're doing the downtown boathouse and they're really grabbing onto all the recreation they can too. And I think I'd love to see every city they don't they're not too big for it. You know, that it's a part of their everyone's tourism and, and um workforce mix of having those offerings.
2: Yeah, and to bring this full circle if that's the case, we're going to need a lot more outdoor recreation professionals to get it done. That's exactly right.
0: And then uh, I think we are seeing that demand. SE group has grown by, we've hired, you know, almost a third of our company is new since, uh, since the start of the pandemic. Um, we've seen a lot of growth in the industry. There's a lot of spending in the public sector broadly from, you know, the American Recovery Act and all those things, but recreation even more so. And we, you know, we've been beating a drum that, it's like it's a core service, just like sewer and water and roads. But I think the American public actually is like beating that drum now too, where they they see it as a as a critical service. Um, and I think the pandemic was super helpful. So we need your help in this industry. There are jobs um, with the federal agencies. There's jobs at SE Group right today um, on our website on Basecamp Outdoors. Um, so get out there and. Get into it because it's a great time to get into the industry.
2: Yeah. And I, th- I think just about every, at least we're going to say, larger to middle sized to larger trail building contractors hiring as well. So there's there's stuff out there. Absolutely. Yeah. Greg's
0: hiring. I think maybe folks at Rock Solid may be hiring, from what I understand. Um,
2: yeah. I, there's a lot out there. I know even some of the smaller ones that, you know, maybe are one or two. You know, maybe they have one or two operators and they're just doing smaller projects. They're still looking for hand workers or whatever, machine operators, all the things. And as planning becomes more important and, and, and design becomes more implor- important, that's just another, it's another avenue for pulling professionals out of a different, you know, more traditional works field into, into this field. So
0: seeing that where people want a little bit more environmental review, they, you know, we're seeing trails being treated a bit more like roads, uh, road building process, which is good for us as well. But it does take more higher level of review and thinking and planning and analysis. And we need professionals to do that. So if you love GIS or love those things already, but want to do it on trails, like please, like now's the time.
2: Yeah. And if you're, if you're an organization looking to get trails built, I mean, I've talked about this in almost every show, trail plans unlock funding.
0: Thank you. Oh my gosh. That's like the number one thing you should be saying. That's incredible. Yeah. That's how, you know, I'm a planner, so I will always promote planning of probably too much, but it is 100% true that it helps you unlock funding, phase things properly, you know, understand how to move from step to step and get things done. Um, it helps with funding and two, it helps like we see here in Vermont on the Belmont trail I had mentioned earlier before we started recording, I think. It's a statewide, a new statewide mountain bike trail in Vermont that's being master planned right now. And we need it for the state to know exactly what's happening, what to expect. It, it just need, We need it written down so that there's clarity for all the partners. And so those things are becoming more important that, you know, the cocktail napkins that we maybe were using in the nineties are not cutting it. And we need, we're, we're in that, um, we're in that stage now.
2: For sure. Well, Drew. Before I wrap this thing up, do you have any closing comments, words of wisdom from drew or thank yous people you want to thank?
0: Yeah, well, I would just, I would thank you to start. Thank you so much for having me and for doing this podcast. I think it's incredibly valuable to the trails community. Um, so I really appreciate the work that you're doing there and and for having me, I got to thank SC group cause that's an amazing place for me to work. Uh, and everybody else at SORB, I am just uh, kind of one person among many who helped to deliver that organization. But um, our executive director, Rachel Franchina, as well as lots of other folks um, um, really are, are pulling their weight um, there with SORB too. So, yeah, I, just, I would think all of those people. And I don't know about words of wisdom, but maybe I would say uh, follow your passion and and the rest will 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 come. And. I'll work to make sure it's a professional option that you have. I'll do my best to do that. And, and there's a lot of other people working to, to support the professionals in, in this space as you do your work.
2: Yeah. Well, I thank you for taking time out of your uh, Friday afternoon here to, to get this recorded so we, can, so we can get this out to the masses for people to listen to. And we'll get some more people rolling into the outdoor space as professionals. So
1: thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we'll be featuring Luther Probst a keynote speaker from the 2023 International Trail Summit. Luther provides a unique perspective on trails, community development, and advocacy. If you like what you have heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you are new to the Trail Fact podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. If you listen to the Trail Effect on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please don't forget to leave a rating and review, as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect podcast. Also, don't forget to check out Kooloo Creative at www.dujassended.com. For additional ways to help support the Trail Effect podcast, check out the affiliate links on the Trail Effect website, where you'll find links to Kettle Mountain Apparel, Trail One Components, Worldwide Cyclery, and now Twenty Three Zero USA. By using the affiliate links found at www.trailfectpodcast.com, a small commission will come back to the podcast, which helps keep this thing going. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. Thank you again for listening.